Tune in to The Fintech Files for exclusive interviews with fintech executives and thought leaders. We will talk about how the industry will overcome the crisis that has marked the start of the decade, how it can be part of the solution, and how the financial world will evolve in the next decade. This is your host, George Alaferis from Arama. On this episode, I speak to Rick Veronese. Rick is a fintech product designer. He's helped many fintech startups to get and retain users by improving their product's UX or user experience. We'll talk about the scientific approach to design and why good design matters even if you're in a technical B2B niche, as well as the usual about career and growth tips. Rick, great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We're in June now in the UK. We're still living in pretty crazy times, so it's still a lockdown in effect. Uh, can you tell us a little bit how you're surviving this period? Of course. Um, you know, you say it's crazy times. I think it's it's very... Um, would you say i guess it's 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 a matter of perspective i know i agree it's crazy but i i kept saying you know people been asking me what do you think about lockdown has changed as things uh, have things changed for you and i kept saying not that much you know i went freelance about seven months ago and not that much has changed for me but it's true to an extent but it was definitely challenging at the beginning um on a professional level i can't say if the lockdown has has helped, but it's been good actually. I've you know been able to find clients quite easily, and I was already used to working from home and remotely, anyways. So things have been good, man. I've been enjoying it. Yeah, well done, well done. And we were just discussing just beforehand how this has broken some taboos, and you know, for me as well. Eventually, I decided to do this uh, podcast, which I would never have dared before, and um, it's yeah, just about doing it. And I guess we're lucky that we run our business uh, lean and uh, and digitally. Um, yes. So we're going to talk more about that. But um, your background is a designer. And now I know you do a lot of work and you probably specialize in fintech. So could you tell us a little bit about how and why you chose this industry? For sure. Um, so I would say pretty much like anything else in my life, I stumbled upon fintech. You know, it was by chance. Mm -hmm. My first full-time job was in a company called um, Money.co.uk. And that's a, it's a comparison website, basically, for financial services. So anything from credit cards, uh, insurance, anything like that, that was just in there. And I wasn't really that interested in it at the beginning, I have to be honest. Uh, but as I progressed in my career, uh, big part of my job is uh, researching, speaking to people. And I realized that I really liked helping people with their finances, you know, understanding what their problems are, what their motivations are around finances. And it's such an essential part of life. It made me realize, oh, there's so much work to be done in this place. So I might as well get to it and, and start doing it, you know? All right. So you embraced it as you were working in it. And, um, exactly. So you're now your own boss. And can you tell us a little bit more about what you do for companies? What services sure, do you provide? For sure. I, I help technical and non-technical founders to create brand new digital products or improve their existing one. So what I do is, is I look at the UX of their product, at the strategy, and, and the research is a big part of it. And 
I would say at this point, it's a mix of consulting and hands-on, you know, getting down to it and production. So very much like getting down to business with design still and testing concepts with uh, potential users. So it's a mix of research and, and product design. All right. And how does it work? Can you tell us a bit more about the research? Because I, I can imagine what, you know, how the product design looks like. Um, yeah. How, how do you go about researching, especially if you're not particularly uh, aware of uh, the, the, the industry or the, the type of product they do? Um, what does it involve and kind of what are the steps before going to proper design and production? Right. So, um, what, like you said, you don't know before you look into it, right? So whenever I start a project, whenever I start anything really in design, I, if it's for a client, obviously, I tend to uh, try to understand what they need done and what they think they need done. It's really essential. And what I do is basically I play devil's advocate in a way, um, you know, I speak to businesses, right? I don't speak to users directly. So I need to understand what they think needs to be done, what their problem is. And then I go on to the next stage, which is validating those assumptions. You know, um, most people, most uh, founders, most people that work in any company have assumptions about how their product work, uh, what problems it solves and things like that. What I do is I go speak to their users and see, okay, is there a match here or, or, or not? And, and that's big part of it really. So, um, it's a mix of qualitative, uh, with user interviews, you know, sitting down with potential users or, or current users, if a product is already existing and, uh, digging deep into their, their needs, you know, speaking to them and understanding what, what they actually need. If the product that exists does that, that's great. We can work on it. If not, then, you know, we have a baseline. So that's, that's pretty much what the research is about. It's, um, as I said, qualitative in terms of speaking to people and quantitative is about using the data that comes out of maybe surveys or any kind of data analytics, anything like that to use that and measure it against, um, the, I guess the design, uh, in a way. So if I, if I am to change, um, to make a design change, we can measure the, that data against the changes and see what works and what doesn't. Hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, that makes perfect sense. And we talk about design and we classify it as a creative industry, but um, your methodology, the research that you describe is pretty scientific, if, if, if maybe that's an old statement, but you, you, do, you have assumptions, but you don't take them for granted, you test them. And then that means the design that you do is not just a, a good idea. It's something yes, that, has, that, is, that is backed by research and data, right? Yeah, so it's a mix, right? So that research side of thing, it's very evidence uh, heavy. And then, you know, I think you need that to, to go and, and do something with, with any product. I think you need that to then spark the creativity. Uh, it's a, my personal opinion, to be honest, if you ask many other designers will probably say that's not the way to go. Mm -hmm. Um, as in, you know, when you want to innovate, you don't really have, you're trying to create something new, right? Sure, you're trying sure. to create something that doesn't exist. And yeah, how do you get evidence on that? I, th I think there's still some way to, uh, 
really understand what people need and what they're motivated to to um, to achieve and then from there still work on that assumption uh, you know think like what what you can do about their problem yeah yeah no i totally relate to that i mean when we create content for companies it's we are we also have to educate and talk a lot about that because people typically go with the ideas they have or the assumptions they make, we say, oh, this is going to be interesting. But in fact, you can get a lot of data and um, you may use it or not, but it's it's anyway a, a good tool to have. It reduces the risk, if anything else, of, you know, what's, what's the impact is going to be. So um, it's very interesting to have your perspective on design on that because it's something I fully relate to. Um, so you, were you said, like, you started your freelance career and i think you're, you're doing a great job at building your personal brand as well and you mentioned you. it's uh, it's working well for you so how does the you know how the, how is business growing how do you acquire your clients so i've tried to um use just one platform and at this point in time is linkedin i think it's it's got a lot of potential um you know i read some stat about uh only 1% of users of active users on LinkedIn actually post content on it, which is mind boggling because, you know, it's millions and millions of people are using it, but they're just consuming content. And the ones that the few ones that are making it, but they're doing a great job, you know, that they, they, they're having a lot of eyeballs, uh, landing on their content or their videos, you know, whatever it is. So my, my strategy really is to get people to educate people on specifically, you know, my target audience to educate them on what they need to do in a way to speak to their frustrations, to speak to their needs and uh, all those sorts of things and, and get them interested in, in working with me. That's pretty much what it is, but it's not, it's not coming from a place of, oh, I need to sell you a service. It's coming from a place of, okay, I need to educate you on some things that you don't know about because it's normal to not know everything. If you relate to that, and if you relate with my persona personality as well as I do it, then there's a chance we could work together. There's a chance that maybe I can help you out. If not, that's fine. At least you got something valuable out of it, you know? Yeah, and you're doing a great job at it. And that's full disclosure. That's how we connected. And I think I've somehow seen one of your posts about fintech. I thought, oh, this is really interesting. And actually, I hope I can... Uh, get more out of this guy that I haven't met yet. And somehow the conversation led to, to this. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely leading to results. Um, but okay, you're, you're good at LinkedIn. And I can see, for example, your posts are getting a lot more interaction, comments, etc. Than, than mine. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you're doing it? Is there a secret sauce? And I think there is, right. but uh, and I don't know <laughs> if you want to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, so thanks first and foremost, um, I appreciate that. I don't know that I'm good, but I like it. I like, I enjoy doing it. So, uh, what I do is I try to stay consistent with posting daily. I have a daily schedule. I'm not a hundred percent on it every day. You know, I, I skip days sometimes I skip weekends. Uh, most times, sometimes I post on Saturdays, Sundays are usually off limits, but what I do is try, I, try to stay relevant to my audience, right? So if I work with fintech founders, then I need to understand how they think, what they need done, what their issues are, what their problems are, you know, pain points and things like that. 
And it's very much, it wouldn't come to a surprise, I don't think, that it's I'm using part of my skill set to get there. Because, you know, if I'm if I'm any good of a researcher, then I, I should know where where these people hang out, what they're doing. Uh, I should know how to speak to them to find out what they're experiencing, what struggles they go through. And then I just just basically think, okay, what do these people need? And then I think about what content can get out of that. And as for the secret sauce, I don't think there is one. Uh, it's just a matter of, of really understanding what they need and link that to in, somehow to what I do, right? It needs to be relevant and I need to enjoy it as well. So as I said earlier, it needs to be something that's connected to my personality as well. So I sometimes I post some some things that might ruffle some feathers, you know, some things that are a bit controversial. But at the same time, it's just what I think, right? Mm -hmm. So I need to be comfortable with either you know looking like a fool in to someone's eyes, um, but having spoken my my truth, you know, what I think about that that specific. Um, matter and yeah that's that's pretty much what i do yeah i think i think that's a really interesting thing because eventually a lot of people rely on you know i'm looking at the b2b space people uh, prioritize linkedin if, if um, out of all the platforms uh and yet i can see that um, it's sometimes even even if not many people post it's still hard to break through i see with my own post although i see that being active is yielding result to me as well but um i think the your approach and the way you typically offer something, whereas I, now that I've been looking at this, I typically post something because I want people to watch it. I, I always have that in mind. I feel I find it hard to remove myself from this. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely something interesting, and I see as well as you, you, you use, um, uh, you know, animated uh, images and design. Um, it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't say hey buy my design, but it's uh, obviously it, it shows that. Um, well, you're you're good at what you do, so it's a it's a really interesting thing, and we'll put the link in the description of the podcast because I think people can really learn from that. Um, so you, uh, just to go to uh, dig a bit further into it, so this is obviously you know I see you you post regularly, it takes time, um, and perhaps this is uh, prioritizing over something else, right? Um, so how much? Um, Let's say, how much time do you invest in this, or is it not the way you you count it? Is it something that part of your routine? So you mean on on posting content? Yes. Creation. Um, it's a good question. Uh, I definitely consider it part of my routine. Uh, it's not something extra I do uh, to get clients or whatever. It's it's definitely part of what I do now. Mm. So it's like you know, I'm looking if I'm looking for clients. As part of my routine, for example, I'm also creating content because that's that's called, you know content marketing. Eventually, mm -hmm, you'll, mm -hmm. you'll get clients to me, right? Or potential clients, or people, you know, like yourself, like people in the industry, people I I would enjoy speaking to. Sure, sure. Um, sure. As far as uh, how long it takes, it's still taking longer than I'd like. Hmm. At the same time, so probably say about. I don't know. Um, well, let me let me uh, circle back to to um, the process a little bit. It used to take me 
about an hour to create a really short post. LinkedIn has a 1200 uh, character limit and it's not that long a post. So it used to take me an hour to think and just, um, you know, create the post and, and think about the image and think about whatever. And uh, the more I do it, the, the, um, the less time is taken, right? So it's a process. But I would say right now to create a post and and brainstorm, I'm actually creating a, a bit of a backlog with posts to publish so I can have some buffer for myself for days that maybe I don't have time. Um, right now it's taking maybe half an hour to, to create a post and I'm trying to bring that down to even uh, less time, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And then it's, you know, well, it's not so, so much about the ROI if it's part of your routine, but you see the, the yeah. results o over time, right? Um, okay, wonderful. So again, to, to finish on, you know, what you do, your company, your business, I'm wondering if uh, this question is fully relevant, but um, if you had m more money, you know, funding, whatever, and you wanted to expand your company, um, do you... Well, would you spend it on advertising or how do you know how you would like to spend, you know, some extra cash if you had it for it? So you're saying you have some extra cash to give me? Let's, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, so you never know. <laughs> I don't, but uh, so some, something happens, something things. Hey, Rick, well, I've heard you on the podcast. I really believe in your business. I want to be part of it. I give you, you know, give me X percent. I give you a big check and expand the business. Okay. Do you know where you would spend it? Um, that, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not necessarily looking to expand mm. uh, yet, but what I love to do is get someone else to do the things I don't like doing or automate those parts as much as possible. So say some admin, some part of sales in a way. Um, it's not that I don't enjoy it. There's just some, some automatic parts of it that I just don't feel like a, a human should be doing it. You know, when it, when it comes to doing conversation, having conversations, then I love it. But just before that, just, you know, the prospecting or anything like that, uh, possibly, you know, if I could hire someone, then that would be great to do that. That would be great. And it would allow me to spend more time on experimenting with, uh, content maybe and working with my clients, obviously. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, plus I like as well, the concept of, uh, not having to necessarily expand and being, a a very efficient company of of one there's a book called company of one which i really like and it's uh, uh by um what's his name uh jarvis jarvis Paul yes jarvis. yes i read that i read that <laughs> there you go. so um uh it's a book that yeah again has liberated my mind in terms of oh you don't always need to grow 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 have more staff um yes you can he's built a fan you know you, you've built a great business on in a few months I totally agree with that. and um and he's done the same, so that's that's also part of my inspiration. Um, okay, so this is this is great. Thank you so much. Uh, um, now let's talk a little bit more about you know the fintech industry and the B two B space in particular. Um, so from what you see, what's the typical challenges that the brands are facing, and what's the typical you know typical advice that you can give, even if it's on a case by case basis, of course. So um, you're talking about fintech in yes. general? Fintech in general, and well, we can talk about fintech in general, and then maybe we can take in B2B fintech in particular. But let's see. Right. Well, I think 
um, that most fintechs nowadays um, are actually coming from, are actually founded by people that come from the financial services industry. And it's not necessarily one of the industries that is the most innovative or, or uh, fresh, so to speak. So I think the challenges come when, when these people, you know, just call them companies, really, which are made of people eventually. But mm-hmm. um, these, these companies don't, they have legacy systems. They have old ways of working that used to really be efficient back in the day, but nowadays they're not. So I see some people, especially more experienced founders, that looking they're looking to transition to fintech that have those old ways of working that don't really jive with the fintech community. You know, it's a it's a young and fresh community. Uh, there's lots of apps. There's new technology being adopted. I think they're a bit stuck in the old ways, and that, that means also being stuck in the mud. You know, it's not. It's not a good look um, for financial services company that transition and think, okay, we'll just move over our system, our legacy system, and our ways of working. That's just not how it works. You know, it's going to transpire in your, in the way you speak to people, in the way you you run your business, uh, the way you interact with your employees, and and things like that. So, um, I think that's the main challenge, to be honest, mm. getting rid of, of the old ways of doing things. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally agree with you, and I see it all the time, and I see it in particular in. I used to be in sales in financial services, that was ten years ago, and I wouldn't dream now of doing anything closer, you know, to what I was try- doing then. Uh, it seems like it's it's gone, but um, I think it's it's still the the, the way of acting that most uh, people still carry on. Um, so. Um, so what are the then kind of new practices that we could bring in to, to this world or to the financial world? What do you see in terms of, uh, well, do you have any particular examples, maybe people you work with that um, have really been uh, able to transform? Um, I think, you know, if it comes down to, to advice uh, in a way, um, I would say to to new fintechs or to fintechs in general, it, I would have to say two things are are really important, or, or rather one thing, but done in two ways. So speak to your users is the main main thing for me, and I mean it I mean it in two ways. So both literally by speaking to them. You know, um, by doing research and and really getting an understanding of how they how they interact with your product, but more in general how they they see um, their problems. You know, the, the way they experience their problems. Say, for for peer to peer lending, for example, just a random example. Just understand how people see it and how they experience it, and you know how they go about it, and. And then that will open so many different doors. Figuratively, uh, you need to do that with your product as well. And what, what I'm talking about is hear from your users, speak to them, and then translate that in how your product works and how you use your messaging or how things work effectively. You know. And and the second thing was 
um, invest in in good good design. Invest in a if, in a person maybe that understands what good design means or uh, that takes care of, of the experience of your product. So a person that actually do does that, you know, speaks to their users. If you if you can't afford that, do it yourself. But you know, that's really important. Yeah, no, I get this. We had a conversation with people who were uh, dealing with custodians, so who have legacy systems that are 40 year old. And typically, there's a lot of talks about, oh, it's antiquated, etc. But eventually, uh, one, one of the conclusions we reach is that if what's antiquated, no one cares if it's antiquated or not, if, if they have a great user experience. So if you manage to build a user interface, that is, uh, well, 2020 kind of a user interface then yes. uh, the, the rest just has to you know function in the background so i think that's that's really important and do you see any i think it's something that's absolutely obvious for anybody in b2c right you need to have a sleek interface yeah. do you see a difference uh between the enterprise or b2b word and the b2c word um i mean B2Bs might be more technical and serious compared to B2Cs, but I don't think they have to be, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what I think, as, as I mentioned earlier, they're still dealing with humans on the other side of, of the screen, on the other side of the line. And, and I think you know, it's, um, it's, it's very important to not confuse B2Bs just because that there's just business in the middle and you see these companies as as separate entities you separate them from the people that actually work in them you know um you, you need to understand that we're, we're you know that there are humans that are going to be interacting with your product whether they work in a company or not so um i think b2b's can potentially do a lot more and there's plenty of of b2b's uh b2b fintechs that are doing it which have, of course, a component of a consumer-facing um, product, but I think that there's, there shouldn't be. That there is a little bit of distinction between the two of them, but at the same time, I don't think. I think that that that's kind of you know um, that that line is is getting a little bit thinner as, yeah, as yeah. we go forward. No, absolutely, absolutely. And I think now, as people go and experience maybe in their home sleek applications starting you know i think uh, the, the ipad and, and things like that have started a long time ago but it's becoming ingrained in our culture it's very hard to go back to the office and deal with um, something clunky I think, exactly. I think it's also a cultural shift um, that's a great example okay now that that's great so thanks so much for the advice rick let's just finish off with some light-hearted question about you if you don't mind so they're just a uh, Quick and easy, hopefully. Right, so there you go. Uh, what would you do if you were to choose a different career path? Um, it will still need to be something that has to deal with people, right? It's still something that. So I guess I'm I'm really fascinated by psychology. So maybe some kind of therapist or um, or a coach. Um, any hidden talent that you know the general public wouldn't know of? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think so. I don't know. Anything is hidden from me. But I do have a passion for for music. I used to play drums when I was younger, and it's something I'm picking back up right now. So um, 
I wouldn't call it a talent, but it's definitely a passion. If you want to want to talk about talent, then I guess my talent is curiosity. I'm curious about things, so I will try anything that I think is interesting. Hey, what a great hobby to pick up during lockdown. I'm sure uh, all your neighbors uh, are loving it. Uh, and the last one, uh, what's your favorite place for holiday? Uh, maybe the place where you want to go to next when uh, we can travel freely? So it doesn't have to be a place where I've already been to? Any place where you, you know, your favorite place. Right. Uh, I would say Japan. Japan is, uh, is a fascinating culture, has a fascinating history. I, I love Japan, so I would love to go there. Funnily enough, I was uh, traveling with my wife, who's Australian. Uh, we went to Australia at the end of the year, and we were planning to come back through Japan, and we had to cancel via the lockdown. So I can relate to your wish. Um, okay, great. <laughs> so thank you so much, Rick. That was uh, really good to hear. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our guests who make this possible. Subscribe to never miss an episode. As this is a new broadcast, if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes and your favorite podcast player, that would be great. Let's work together to accelerate fintech towards the 2030s.